You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. All right, the Mile High Report radio podcast is back with a midweek edition. The Broncos are sitting at 2-0, and uh, I cannot tell you how many times I have told the knock-knock joke to just random people. Knock-knock. Uh, Who's there? Owen. Owen who? Owen to Raiders. It's, it's funny every time. It's funny every time, even however many days later this is. Uh, three. It still doesn't top the funniest joke that they traded Khalil Mack. <laughs> nope, that's the one I laughed at the most, that's for sure. But uh, it's it's nice that the Broncos are 2-0. and It's nice to have uh, a win over a division rival, and it's always nice to beat the Raiders. But now we have to move forward. We have to look ahead. We can't dwell on the past, and we are going to have to look to the Ravens. And, we can't uh, plop it out there and expect it to perform. No, because if you do, you'll start talking about the Chiefs game that doesn't happen for another <laughs> for a little while, and so you'll you'll get confused. You, I'm already confused as it is, as you recall from our conversations earlier today. The reason I don't like the Broncos playing the Ravens isn't because they don't win in Baltimore. They're one and four all time. It's because it triggers me. And not just because of the Raheem Moore fiasco, but because of John Fox. Yeah, your 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 Fox radar goes just you get all foxy tingly there, and it, it really drives you nuts. That's that's why it's kind of like when I see Josh McDaniels on the screen when the the Patriots are are in town or whatever, or if they're on TV and they show Josh McDaniels, and I get you know I I get a little. You know, a little like like little. Ugh, I get angry. I get angry just talking about him. I was starting to get a little angry, McHoodie. But I guess I, I think I've already said this. We do thank McHoodie a little bit because without him, we don't have Peyton Manning, which means we don't have the 2015 Super Bowl run. So I'll get off it. I'm fine. I'm I'm fine. Are you fine? No, no. But what's interesting is in the weekly re- the weekly release the Broncos send out, and it's what I use to put together those threads on Twitter that everyone seems to get a kick out of. Well, I enjoy things. them. I don't know about anybody else, but I know I like them. The history of the rivalry and news and notes for that particular game. What's interesting is in this week's, it has a stat that says Denver is 2-0 for the sixth consecutive year the first team to win its first two games in six straight seasons since the miami dolphins from 1994 to 1999 and that's that's a pretty cool stat it's a pretty cool stat until you realize that the miami dolphins didn't do anything those six years i think the miami dolphins biggest biggest accomplishment in those six years was beating the broncos in the 98 season uh, when the Broncos were sort of on that historic run where they almost went undefeated and then they lost to the Giants uh, on that Amani Toomer uh, touchdown catch. And then 
they go and they play Miami and Miami's dancing on the sidelines. And I just, I always picture Shannon Sharp standing there telling everybody, this is, we'll see them again. This is their Super Bowl. This isn't that big a deal. We will see them again. And then the Broncos annihilated them in the playoffs. Mercilessly just destroyed them in the playoffs. So to me, that's, that's what I think of when I think of that era for the Dolphins is is that little uh, series of games, which ended up being better for the Broncos. Chalk it up to one of those kind of cool statistics. That doesn't mean squat. Right. Wow, that's really cool. It means nothing but cool. I love people who get into the, the numerology of things, and they're like, oh, well, this and that and that. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't apply. It doesn't mean anything. This doesn't tell you that the Broncos are going to go undefeated. It doesn't tell you that they're not going to make the playoffs. It doesn't tell you that the Dolphins are going to do anything. It tells you nothing other than the Broncos are 2-0 and this season. And going into a place that they historically don't play well in. So what are we so 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 what are we saying? Does does that matter? I, I let me ask you that because we kind of get into this sort of these stats matter, these stats don't matter. The Denver Broncos, as you have said, don't historically play well in Baltimore. Does that matter in 2018? I I don't think it does because these these are different teams. It it I. I mean, I think the most recent time that they played was the Super Bowl year in 2015 when the Broncos started that whole season-long uh, uh, season long of putting Broncos fans through feeling like they ran a marathon or giving male fans the equivalent of what it feels like to give birth. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I like that better than the cliche of the heart attack, but... Uh, I think that's where you were going. If if people are uh, still a little confused, there that was that was a difficult year to watch football, even though it ended up beautifully. But I understand what you're saying. So what what you are saying is that was so long ago. These two teams are so different. You can't compare the the that one and four record doesn't really matter when you go into this game, right? Is that really what we're saying here? No, I, it, it's just, it's an interesting statistic. Um, it, it's not something that becomes a trend unless, cause I mean, they only play in Baltimore once every eight years. And the last time they played in Baltimore was 2012 and they beat Baltimore 34 to 17 and then proceeded to lose in the divisional round of the playoffs, 38 to 35. So, Technically, the the Broncos enter Baltimore on a winning streak against the Ravens in Baltimore. Well, if I remember my uh, major league correctly, winning one is good. Winning two is is back to back. Winning three, that's a winning streak. So, but that's that's neither here nor there, I suppose. So, um, we're back at it against the Ravens, which is nice. Um, the Broncos have the one o'clock game which is an early game. I think that's the biggest issue. I think when you look 11 at 11 o'clock mountain, right? When you look, when you look 12 at o'clock, 12 o'clock Pacific, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, that'd be 12 o'clock central, 12, 10 o'clock yeah. Pacific. What <laughs> time in Hawaii? Uh, wait, 10 o'clock uh, Pacific is it four. Is it, was it six? Is it six o'clock in the morning? Is that how they do that? Is it four hours behind? I Pacific think it's four. Time? I think it's four. 
God, if only there was someone had a device that they could use to look that kind of information up, or if only I cared enough to actually do it. Um, there, I don't. I'm not in Hawaii. They get to enjoy living in Hawaii. I have to live in the Midwest where it's cold and nasty in the winter. So forget those people. I think that the point well, it's, I was. It's, it's four hours behind us Mountain Time right now. So if they play at eleven o'clock Mountain Time, it will be. Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. Right. There you go. All so right. Seven o'clock Hawaii time. So to make my point, because I, I think I, I was I was getting ready to make something that I would consider to be a very eloquent point here that uh, most football fans have probably heard a thousand times um, when watching games. When teams travel east, they have a tendency to play worse when they have the early game. And I remember that was one of the things that we talked about when the Broncos had that horrible game against the bills last year is that that seemed to be the norm for teams traveling East. So if you're in the Western part of the United States and you usually play an afternoon game, like the Broncos normally do in their home games or when they're, you know, when they're playing on the, on the West coast, that kind of thing, traveling East playing that early game, it's 11 o'clock to the players' bodies, and it's hard for them to adjust. I think that's the biggest issue that you run into for all teams west of the Mississippi traveling to the East Coast playing that early game. So if, if you're concerned about anything heading into this game, that's the stat that should concern you more than anything else is just that they're playing the early game on the East Coast, and that's going to be a problem for them. And while it's a great point, these are professional football players who are veterans who have done it. This isn't anything new to them. Get right. over it. Oh no, I'm I'm not making excuses. I'm just I'm I'm just pointing out that that is something that that comes about during these conversations and during the discussions about teams traveling east. It seems to be easier for teams to travel west and play on the on the west coast than it is for teams to travel east and play on the east coast. That's that's really all it is. In terms of travel, I would much prefer to to be where the Broncos are because you're spending less time getting on the plane to get to your game than you are for people who are flying from the East Coast to the West Coast. You're on a plane way more and way longer if you're coming from Florida to California or wherever along the East Coast to get to California or Seattle or Phoenix. I so I, I would I would actually prefer this. And I think that's why teams fly out when they're on the East Coast. The Broncos should leave on Friday. Right. So they'll have two nights in Baltimore to to get acclimated, and they should have their walkthrough at 11 p.m. and get up on Saturday when they would get up on Sunday so that their body gets used to it. No, I I think teams have have worked that out, and I think that that's something that is absolutely – you know, there's a science to it. I don't think teams leave any stone unturned, so to speak, when it comes to trying to find an advantage or to fix a problem. Uh, it's just a that that is a trend to me. That's that's one where you can point to the numbers and say there's certainly a trend here where you see teams traveling east struggle when they have the early game, and it's just a matter of trying to time things correctly, get the body acclimated, and be ready to go. Your point is more than valid about these are professionals and they should be ready to go without needing to be coddled. And so uh, no excuses, just an, just an observation. That being said, um, I lost my train of thought. 
<laughs> it does What's happen. What's your key to the game? What, what do the Broncos have to do to improve to 3-0? and Well, first of all, they have to play the right team. And I, I will say that. If they play the wrong team, that could be a problem. But um, to me, it's about controlling the game offensively. The, the big issue that you have seen over the first two games is the Broncos have not been able to be effective offensively enough. Um, and I, and I, I know that's a silly thing to say when you're talking about a team that's 2-0, and but the, the fact is against the Seahawks, they had, you know, they had their struggles. They, the offense just could not make things happen. Against the Raiders, it was too many three and outs to start the game uh, and then an interception. So you have your three interceptions against the Seahawks, your three and outs and your and your interception against the, the Raiders, and you just don't have any ability to create tempo, to create rhythm. You're just, you're in and out, you're in and out, you're in and out. And on top of that, that runs your defense ragged. And that was, to me, the biggest issue against the Raiders was that defense was, you could tell by the end of the first half, they were getting gassed. They were, it was hot, um, which doesn't help. And they were on the field a lot. And they did a really good job of holding that uh, Raiders team to 12 points. But in the end, that's still, um, that still could have been disastrous. Now, obviously, they came out in the second half and the offense played much better. But that's the way the offense needs to play throughout the game and to start the game. Um, you know, controlling, controlling the pace of the game, running the ball, uh, well with Royce Freeman and, and Philip Lindsay and making sure that your receivers don't have bad drops, but, you know, extending drives, no three and outs. I think, I think really that's, if I'm going to go down to one, it's the three and outs that drive me nuts. The inability to get a first down when you're constantly putting yourself in second and long, third and long, third and intermediate, and you're unable to convert that to me, that's, that's a game killer right there because you cannot get into a rhythm. And so your offense is ineffective. And if your offense is ineffective, it doesn't matter what your defense does, which is obvious by the fact that they went into the half against the Raiders down 12 to nothing. And I think that's what brings up a statistic that is so, it's so startling for Broncos country because it, they haven't seen this kind of efficiency from this unit in a consistent period of time like they have. And that's the offensive line. I think that's one of the biggest reasons the offense has been as effective as it has when Case Keenum hasn't thrown an untimely and bad interception. But as it stands right now, the Broncos are fourth in overall offense at 427.5 yards per game and are second in rushing with 157 yards. And I think what's even more telling right now is the offensive line has only allowed two sacks. And I think that's a product of the offensive line, but I also think it's a product of Case Keenum. Yeah, I think that's a point we've made several times uh, over the past few years is that um, having a good quarterback improves your, your offensive line play, which I know is kind of it's like do your job kind of thing where you say do your job. But but the fact is when the quarterback does his job, it makes the offensive line look better. And if nothing else, you can say that Case Keenum understands coverages and understands how to adjust uh, where players need to be to pick up blitzes and, and how to move the offense in a way that allows him to, 
you know, get away from any pressure. But on top of that, the offensive line has really done a, a much better job of protecting the quarterback. Part of that is Case Keenum, and, and part of that is their ability to block. I think that those go hand in hand. And the, the rushing is is great. And what we've seen from Philip Lindsay, Philip Lindsay especially, excuse me, uh, has been fantastic. And I think Royce Freeman will sort of hit his stride over the next few games. He's going to, you know, get into game speed and things are going to open up for him as well. I just think that the offense has the ability and has the opportunity to be really good this year. They just There are some things they need to shore up so that they can continue to uh, have drives that go longer than three plays. That's just that's the one, that's going to stick with me for a while. It's, three and outs are killers. They just drive me nuts. I know there's been some talk about how Philip Lindsay maybe should be the number one running back or the de facto starting running back, and I, I don't think it matters. I I think you you go with who you feel has the hot hand, and the first two weeks it's been Philip Lindsay, and he he brings a dynamic to the offense that they haven't had from this position in a long time who can bring what he does carrying the football, but also catching it. But I like the tandem of Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay. And I think it, it will, it'll set this offense up because they'll be able to play off of each other. The, what bothered me about the Raiders game is Devontae Booker got more snaps and touches than Royce Freeman did. That needs to stop. I don't want to see Devontae Booker on the football field anymore. He doesn't do anything. He's not effective. So why take away snaps from a guy like Royce Freeman, who has shown that he will move forward and make things happen with a guy who won't? Yeah, you make a good point. And it's clear, I think, that the Broncos trust Royce Freeman more than they do Devontae Booker because in goal line in a goal line situation, it wasn't Booker who was out there, it was Freeman. And so uh in his you know his snaps were maybe a little more limited and that might have been the heat. That might you know there may have been some things that were going on there where uh they were just trying to not overheat some of the guys that uh looked like they may have been gassed or struggling with the the temperatures because it was uh record temperatures in Denver for that game. But I, I can't agree with you anymore. I mean, it's it's one of those things where we're we are both saying the same thing here. Devontae Booker is is pointless, and I'm sure he's a really nice guy, and I'm sure that I don't care because he's pointless. Having him on the team does nothing, and I, the idea of having a veteran who can come in and pass block it, it doesn't even seem necessary to me. It doesn't seem like Royce Freeman or Phil Lindsay can are are a liability. I have not seen them be a liability in pass protection at all. So why Devontae Booker is there, I, I can't figure it out. And we said this before the season even started, when it was apparent that they were going to keep him and no one could understand why. And I don't see the Broncos moving away from him unless uh, Royce Freeman can come out and actually uh, have a, a really big game. To the point where you look at it and go, okay, yeah, we really don't need him. And he hasn't had the opportunity yet. We're only two games into the season. We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves with anything. But Devontae Booker, is, is he's worthless. He's pointless. He's, he's, a, he's a redundancy that could go away. And that actually ties into what I think is the key to the game. 
And that's play to the strengths of the defense. And that's on the coaching staff. And what I mean by that is do whatever it takes to ensure Von Miller and the Orange Rush wreck Joe Flacco and this game. And the best way to ensure that happens is to have the secondary play press coverage. Don't have your cornerbacks play off Jack Del Rio-esque 40 yards off of receivers and then still have those cornerbacks get beat deep. When you allow your secondary to play press coverage, it gives the pass rushers more time to hit, pressure, and sack Joe Flacco. That's the strength of this defense right now. So do whatever it takes to make it successful. That's, yeah, I don't know how else to say that other than that was perfectly done. You know, it's interesting because when you talk about how far off the the defensive backs were playing and then they still get beat deep, and, and I mentioned this to you before we started recording, and I'd like to hear your take on it. It seems like they bite on everything because they're playing deep. And so as they are, um, you know, you're, you're playing in that safety sort of deep safety position your instinct is going to be to bite on anything underneath because you know that that's wide open. And so you've got to go make the tackle. So you bite on that. And even though you're still pretty far off, NFL players are fast. Once they go, they're gone. And recovery time is is not always going to be enough. So I don't know. Do you Does that make sense? Does my theory on that seem to hold water a little bit there? That absolutely because you can see it play out with you saying it. You can see it in your mind where you're off, so you're going to have to move forward. And as soon as they're already going forward, so that's their momentum. If they fall, that's what leads to the receivers to cut, and then it gets their momentum shifting, and then they can go back out. So absolutely. So playing so off play is press coverage. Yeah, playing off ends up being counterproductive to what you're trying to prevent because if guys are still getting behind you anyway, it's because you're not you're you're biting on things and you have to bite. You have to, otherwise you're giving up huge chunk plays anyway. And I think what you said about the the defensive backs playing press coverage, not only does that give the defensive line more time to pressure and harass and, and get to Joe Flacco, but it also cause will cause him to make mistakes that will lead to defensive backs who are playing press coverage getting easier interceptions. That's the other thing. It all sort of works together. And if you find the right balance, it's really an incredible, beautiful thing to watch. And that was the 2015 defense, right? Everything was in perfect balance. Every single game, they had everything sort of keyed up the way it needed to be. And finding that balance would be really nice. And I hate to go back to that defense and we sort of – dwell on that a little bit. And I don't want to turn into an 85 Bears defense person who talks about how great they are 30 years later, uh, and that's all I have to cling to. But I will say that when you do things right and you have it perfectly balanced like that defense was, everything falls into place. And so the key will be for Joe Woods uh, and the rest of the defensive coaching staff and, and Vance Joseph as well to find that balance, figure out a way to make that work so that you are um, having the defensive line and the defensive backs work in tandem rather than just relying on the defensive line to get to the quarterback and allowing wide receivers to run free 
10, 15 yards down from the line of scrimmage. Well, the whole point of coaching is to put your, your players in a position to be successful. And if you're making, if you're taking away the strength of your defense, which is the orange rush, by having your secondary play off, you're taking away that strength. You're not putting your defense in a situation to have success. You're taking away the strength of your team by doing that. So it's completely counterproductive. And that, and that's one of my biggest complaints about coaches, especially in the NFL, is they get too cute. They overthink it. It's not that difficult. You put your players in a position to have success. It's really not that difficult. Well, and, and the one thing that that and that's that's what coaches do is they overthink it. They get too cute. Yeah, you know it's interesting because I feel like uh, we have this sort of running joke at work, uh, and you know, as a teacher, I think that there are probably other teachers out there that listen that may uh, giggle at this or chuckle at this a little bit. We talk about how uh, what you've done is you've you've brought logic into a discussion where the people who are involved in it don't understand what logic is, and so you have to stop relying on logic because the people who you're trying to convince don't know what logic is. And that's kind of one of the, the running jokes that we have. You're sitting in a meeting and somebody tries to explain something to you and you go, well, that's not logical. And then you remember, oh, neither are you. So um, I, I get what you're saying. I, I would be surprised, I think, if the Broncos are playing in uh, less than press coverage against Baltimore, just, just because of what you've said and what we saw against the Raiders. And I do think they adjusted in the second half a little bit. I thought that... Um, we did see a little bit of that, uh, but it wasn't as much as it should have been. And so hopefully they will recognize that moving forward. And the goal will be to get them working in tandem, find that right balance, get the defensive backs up on the wide receivers. Obviously you don't want to get burned, but give your defensive line a little bit of extra time to get to the quarterback. Von Miller will destroy the game uh, if you give him the opportunity. As will Shaq Barrett and as will as will Bradley Chubb. I don't know about Shane Ray, but he'll tell everybody how hard he's working. Sure. But you know what else will happen is the interior line will also get time to get to the quarterback. And I think Domita Pecco is somebody who we haven't talked about as much on the podcast, but he was somebody who had a great game against against the Raiders and um, I, it has been phenomenal ever since he came to Denver. I feel like Derek Wolf has looked pretty good this year. He hasn't. You, you don't see him in the stat line. But do you feel like he's getting into the the backfield a little bit more than he was last year? Like maybe he seems a little healthier, a little well, a little more rested. This is just off the top of my head here, obviously, but he just looks like he's a little faster. He's like a step faster than he was last year. Well, that that bears out with what you're seeing from the defense. They're they're tied for sixth in rushing at 78 yards, 15th in overall defense, and then mainly that's because they're 21st in passing. Um. But yeah, I I think it it all ties together, and I think that's what this defense is going to have to do. I, I I think the the secondary isn't as strong as it's been the last couple of years. So do whatever you can to make sure that the pass rush can do its thing, and that that includes Derek Wolf, that includes Pecco, and I and I think one thing that we're both saying is 
is on the road in this first road test is start to put the pieces together to play a complete football game because we've seen bits and pieces of it. We can, we've seen what this team can look like when it's rolling on all cylinders and it's been in on game winning drives and kudos to case Keenum because he, he really has had some John Elway ask drives, especially against the Raiders to get that field goal. But Put it all together. Play a complete football game. Make it easier on yourself. Make it easy for the offense. Cut down on the mistakes. And on defense, play to your strengths. Those are those are exactly what they have. Those are the keys to the game right there. There's no other way to say that. Um, who are you watching this week? We, we've got... Uh, We've talked about several players right now. We've got a lot of ideas. Who who are you watching this week? Offense, defense. What is your what is your focus going to be on? I'm going to be watching the offensive line, and especially if Jared Veld here isn't able to get out of concussion protocol. Yikes! And because the offensive line was still, it didn't miss a beat with Veld here in concussion protocol. And I, I think it was Billy Turner who who yeah. took in and, and filled in for Veld here, which is a testament to Veld here, but also the coaching. So I'm going to be watching the offensive line because even without the guys that, that Baltimore is known to have of the past with their defense of getting after quarterbacks, they still play incredible defense. And as it stands right now, they're second in overall defense, third in passing. Yeah, but who did they play? They played Buffalo. So do we even count that? Like they had a, they had a, a, a bye week. <laughs> but it's still that mentality, it, right? It's it's still the Baltimore defense. And as we talked about on the last podcast, they're going to be honoring Ray Lewis. So you're going to have a fired up. Baltimore Ravens football team because you know he's going to give a motivating speech oh, yeah. in the locker room. Sure, of course he is. So it, they're they're going to be fired up. They are going to want to play Baltimore Ravens defense. The onus is going to fall on the offensive line. They're going to have to protect Case Keenum. They're going to have to give him time. So that means blocking Terrell Suggs. That means blocking the other Ravens defenders along the defensive line and their pass rushers. It also means running the football. And to this point, they've been able to run the football. But let's see if they can do it on the road. Because one of the things that's impre- that, Im- that impressed me the most over both of both of these games is when the, the Broncos needed to run the football and their four-minute offense at the end of that Seahawks game, when they had the lead and they were facing a stacked box, they were still able to run the football with Royce Freeman. They need to do that on the road. Run the football. Run the football. Run the football. Do what you've done the first two games. Open up the offense. Allow Case Keenum to to hit his receivers. Emmanuel Sanders, Cortland Sutton, Demarius Thomas, if he catches it, the tight ends. So that that will open up the offense. So I, I'm going to be watching the offensive line, and then on defense, I'm I'm going to be watching 
I'm going to be watching watching the Orange Rush because if they're able to get after Joe Flacco, he's gonna throw he's gonna throw interceptions. He's gonna fumble it. He's gonna make mistakes because he is not a good quarterback, and he's even worse when he's pressured. I like those. Those are very good. I'll give you my offensive ones, and it, you mentioned them already uh, a little bit. I'm going to be watching the receivers, especially Demarius Thomas. Um, he takes a lot of heat, and he took a lot of heat from us in the podcast. I'm sure he was devastated to probably not hear it. Um, but he's he has to have a bounce-back game. There has to be something that he can do to – win back the confidence of Case Keenum. Because right now, if I'm Case Keenum, to be quite honest, I'm looking for number 10. I'm looking for number 14. I'm looking for number 80. I'm looking I'm looking for anybody but 88, right? I, I, I want to throw to my tight ends. I want to hit Hireman. I want to hit Butt. Everybody likes to hit Butt. I want to, I want to, I want to find Sanders out of the slot. I want to, I want to get Cortland Sutton involved. All of those things. That's what I want to do if I'm Case Keenum because it means Tim I... Tim Patrick. Yeah, Tim Patrick, who is was... A big-time hero in the game against the Raiders, absolutely. I want to get those guys involved because they catch the ball. And so I will be curious to see, and, and so that's why I'm picking Demarius Thomas. I'm going to be watching Demarius Thomas to see if he has the confidence of Case Keenum to be targeted in important situations. Uh, the one thing you could say about Demarius Thomas in the past few years was that he was always heavily targeted in the red zone. He was, he was a main target of all Broncos quarterbacks throughout the past four or five seasons in the red zone. I don't see Case Keenum going his direction after the drops that he's had. And I will be curious to see if he chooses to throw the ball to Demarius Thomas or if he's even used in the scheme, really, uh, when the Broncos are in, in a passing situation. Are they going to be willing to send a football through the air to a guy whose hands seem to have the ability to knock footballs down but not catch them. Like, he'd be a great cornerback maybe. Maybe he needs to convert. I don't know. But I'll be curious to see what happens with that. Because those are game killers too. Drops are drops are like three and outs. And drops lead to three and outs. They're game killers. So you got to be careful with that. And I, if, you, if he has the confidence in him, I will be interested to see that. As far as the defensive side of the ball... I'm going to be watching the defensive backfield and seeing where they start from and if they're in press coverage or if they're not. And the reason for that is because we've been talking about it so much and just how important it seems to be to finding the balance for this defense. So you want to watch the Orange Rush do its thing. I want to watch the defensive secondary. I want to watch the no-fly zone actually create a no-fly zone because at this point, I don't believe the no-fly zone exists anymore. No, it's the fly zone. It's the it's fly zone. Business. Yeah, the, the, their fly is down because it's open. And so if they can get back into that press coverage, if they can scheme it so that it actually is more no fly zone than fly is down zone, I, you know, that, that could really lead to some big plays for the defense. But you've got to have that balance, and so those are the two things that I'm going to be looking for. What's interesting about Joe Flacco and this Ravens offense is I'm sure there's some uh, MMA fans who are listening to this. And one of the complaints with some fighters is they lay and pray. 
So they'll just get a guy down and and basically do just enough to keep the ref from breaking up and getting them up to fight. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Joe Flacco is a chuck and pray quarterback where he will just chuck it 80 yards and that's it. That's what he does. That's what he, that, that's what leads that's what led him to success. That's how he beat the Broncos in the divisional playoff. He just chucked it and prayed and Raheem Moore obliged. But that's <laughs> yeah, what they do. Answered his prayers, that's for sure. So that's what's going to be inter- that, that, that in terms of the secondary that that will be interesting because you have a guy in John Brown I was just going to mention who can get deep. Yep. And if you're playing off on John Brown, you have to you almost have to play off on him a little bit. But if you're playing off on John Brown and you bite on anything, he's past you and he's gone. He's fast and he and he can catch the ball. So that's that's also a plus for him. And so Flacco will have the ability to just throw it up there and and hope for the best. The the one good thing that comes from that though is when you have a quarterback that's a chuck and pray quarterback and you have defensive backs like uh, Chris Harris Jr., like Justin Simmons, you know, like Bradley Roby, who I think is a bit of a ball hawk and just is is maybe unfairly um, unfairly looked at by Broncos fans because they miss a keep to leave. Um, you're going to see some interceptions, I think, this week. That's that's one thing that I do think you will see from Joe Flacco. Is he's going to throw the ball to the wrong team. Uh, the hope is that Case Keenum doesn't also do that. And to his credit, he he didn't he he cut down on it from sure. game one to game two. So hopefully the officials don't take away two touchdown passes again. Yeah, that's always a bit of a bummer when you've got to play two different teams on the same field. You know what I'm saying? When your opponent is the refs and the and the other team across the football from you, that that makes life difficult. So, uh, and the the other reason I want to watch the Orange Rush is because I really, 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 really want to see Von Miller do a squirrel dance after oh, he sacks Joe Flacco. Right? As I said to end the last podcast, Von Miller has to troll Ray Lewis. Just a little would be bit. better is if he could be wearing a white suit while he does it, but I don't think the league would allow that to happen. No, but the Broncos would be wearing white, right? On the road, they would be. They they'll be, be wearing white. white. They'll be in. It's it's essentially the same thing. It's white, so that works. You know, the other person who may give us a a, a little uh, Ray Lewis trolling is is Marquette King. Oh, absolutely. Had to so, do a little squirrel dance after yeah. a great punt that pins the Ravens inside could, the five. Could you imagine if, if Marquette King and, and Von Miller meet on the field to squirrel dance together after an amazing punt by Marquette King? That might be fun to watch. Well, I mean, the, the first time Von Miller played Cam Newton in Carolina, he did the whole Superman thing after a sack. Yes, he did. He did a dab when they played Cam Newton in the Super Bowl. Yes, he did. I think Von Miller is probably he's probably ahead of us on this one. He knows what he knows what he's going to do. I don't think he needs us to remind him that he should be doing the squirrel dance. I think he's got it. <laughs> you got a prediction for the game? You got a score? You got you got something for me? Uh, I'll go with I'll go with twenty four sixteen. Ooh, that's really close to mine. I, I just wrote one down. I wrote down 22 to 17. I assume we're both picking the Broncos. Yes. Okay. I'm so, not going to pick Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, come on. Just make it. Even, even if we thought, as Perna said in the, the last 
um, game preview podcast, even if we thought that the other team was going to win, we wouldn't be picking them. Uh, although I think we're pretty uh, um, honest with our picks. Yeah, I like 22-17. It's a, 22 is sort of a, a weird number, but they could get to it. That's why I went with it. I thought it would be fun. What games, uh, what what do you think will be, aside from the Broncos-Ravens game, what game will you be uh, paying attention to in the AFC West? Well, I think for me it's all about Kansas City right now. I, I have no fear of the Raiders. I don't care who they're playing. I don't care what they're doing. Um, and honestly, they're, what are they're playing the Dolphins? So they might get a win because they're playing the Dolphins, who are terrible. I had, but they're going across the country, and the and the Dolphins actually have a good defense. And it's a one o'clock game, so I think you're right. I think the Dolphins win that game. So whatever. And they don't have Khalil Mack. And they don't have Khalil Mack. It's weird how much that is important. Um, I am interested to see how the Chargers. Uh, offense plays against the Rams defense. I think that that's a fun game. That that one is is interesting to me because the Chargers offense is pretty good. I would say close to being as good as the Chiefs offense has been the last few games. Uh, and as a Melvin Gordon owner, obviously I'm going to be paying attention to that because I'd like to score some points in my fantasy football. Uh, going uh, one and two this week was a little rough on me. It, uh, it hurt my heart. As, as a fantasy owner to go one and two. So that's that's an intriguing game. But I just, to me, watching the Chiefs play offense has been uh, frustrating but intriguing all at the same time. And so the, that game against the, the Steelers on Sunday was, was, was quite a game to watch. And I'll be curious to see if they can keep that going. I feel like they have to come back down to earth at some point. Um. You know, we're talking about a quarterback in, in Patrick Mahomes that he's essentially a rookie. I know people he's not really. This is his second year, but this is his first year starting. There's gonna be a collapse. I don't know that it will be against the not so great defense of the 49ers, but with as bad as their offense is, I would like to see what Kyle Shanahan does with the 49ers offense, as bad as their defense is, excuse me, uh, what their offense can do against that terrible Chiefs defense. And it's terrible. It's just, it's terabad. It's so gross. It's a gross defense. And that's, and I think that's what's untenable about the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Is as good as their offense may be, and let's see it over the course of 16 games, you can't win with a defense that's that bad. You just can't. Because you're going to go against teams who do have defenses. Right. I think Jacksonville. Was it, wasn't New that England. the wasn't that the uh, wasn't that the lesson you learned from the Super Bowl when the Broncos lost to the Seahawks? As good as that offense was, and it was an it was a historic offense. Right? It's the best offense in the history of the best National Football regular League. season offense in the history of the National Football League. And they went and they lost the Super Bowl to a team that had a better defense. Now, granted, the Broncos had injuries going into that Super Bowl. There were some fairly important players that weren't on the field in that game. But at the end of the day, the best defense beat the best offense. That's what happened. So, well, sort of. So, <laughs> you really want to trigger me because now yeah. that I did. I saw your face and I tried to back out a little bit. I don't know if you I, you could see me sort of backpedaling a little bit. I was like, kinda. It's okay, Ian. Ian, stay with us. He's like getting all Hulk on me here. He's gonna start smashing things. But I do think that the Chiefs are gonna run into a good defense, and they're gonna lose. The Steelers don't have a good defense, so that didn't happen. 
The 49ers don't have a good defense, so I think that's going to be a fun shootout. Is the first good defense that the Chiefs are going to face the Denver Broncos? Yes. There you go. But what makes that game difficult is it's in Kansas City. And we talked about it at the beginning. But it's not December. True. So there's that. They they still struggle in Kansas City. Don't we all? <laughs> Aside from that, I I think the most interesting game of the weekend is going to be the Saints Falcons because those are always great football games because it's a it's the NFC South and it's a rivalry game and you have two two teams that will sling it and oh yeah. Uh, I don't ever talk about fantasy because I don't play it that often, but I'm playing fantasy and I have the two top receivers from both of these teams playing. So that, that will be interesting. Yeah. And I've got Drew Brees going. So my wife has Drew Brees going. There you go. See, that makes me feel better. But what I would like to ask her and she can tell me later, she doesn't have to tell me now. I also have Deshaun Watson. Uh, I know I drafted both Deshaun Watson and Drew Brees it was a, a live draft, and it was at a bar, and I may have had a few pops. But um, who do I start this week? Do I start Deshaun Watson, or do I start Drew Brees? Drew Brees. That's my initial thought, but it's Drew Brees on the road, Deshaun Watson at home. Against a better defense. Are the Giants a better defense? Like, what's – I mean, it's the Giants of New York. They're not very good. I might be talking myself into something stupid here. I should probably just leave it alone. So, you know how you just got to walk away? I probably should just walk away. Um, what about the uh, the Steelers Bucks on Monday night? I don't know what's going to happen, but Mike Tomlin right now is that dog from the fire gif. Everything's <laughs> fine. fine. Everything's fine. We're I mean, Antonio fine. Brown doesn't show up on Monday. Le'Veon Bell still not there. Uh oh. The house is on fire. And there is no fire department. I mean, Roethlisberger's there. Dude scored me like almost 50 points in fantasy last week, so there's that. I don't know. Uh, This isn't a fantasy football show, so uh, he also didn't get the win, and that's all that really matters. Um, But I think the most interesting thing that could come from that game is whose closet is Fitzpatrick going to raid at the end of the game? I'd be more interested to find out what's in his beard. Yeah, but did you see his outfit in the post-game interview? He was wearing Deshaun Jackson's clothes, and he had his, the chains on. Oh, it's fantastic. What a look. That's the goal right there. That's the look that I want to I want to achieve that look someday. With or without the beard? With, obviously with. I've decided I'm not shaving the beard. I'm not trimming it, nothing. Probably for at least another week, and then my wife will complain, and I'll trim it up. It'll be fine. That's usually how it goes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, anything else? I think that pretty much covers it. All right. Well, I think uh, we should all eat crab cakes, though. Yeah. Well, crab cakes and football. That's what Maryland does. Maryland does. And they're about to do it with a Bronco running across their face. So Hopefully hopefully it's a Broncos win. That's right. Well, we've predicted so I think that's how that works. We are. Can I can I just say before yeah, we go? Please do. When it in you, whenever you talk about Baltimore, you have to mention the Wire. It is the greatest show in the history of television. Absolutely. 
It is an incredible show. It's worth the binging. Like, take the time. Get HBO if you have to. Watch the show. And then do yourself a favor and follow David Simon on Twitter. Because he throws out the best insults I have ever seen on Twitter. It's uh, just, just search David Simon on Twitter. He's the writer of The Wire. It is, it's phenomenal. He's he's great. He's a wonderful follow. And uh, if you do it right, he might even make fun of you a little bit. And so that might be good as well. And with the Emmys being on Monday night, The Wire never won an Emmy. Well, the Emmys were wrong. The Emmys were wrong. I don't think I have anything else to say about that. Awards shows are stupid. Especially ones that get it wrong. So, all right. Well, I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. Let's right. see if the Broncos can pass this first road test and get to 3-0. and There you go. We're on to Baltimore. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.